Hello and a warm welcome to Living Fabulously with Bev. The mission for the show is to get to the heart of well-being through inspirational stories of everyday people, expert insights from a number of health and lifestyle related disciplines, and exploration of topics that underpin well-being. If you want to take control of your well-being and put yourself front and center in your life, then this is the podcast for you. I want you to feel calm, nurtured and inspired so you can enjoy your life and your success. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you know someone else that would get value from the show as well, please share it with them. Join me on this journey and let's live the fab life together. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to introduce my guest, Reno Perifoy, who is just got such a vast knowledge around stress, anxiety, and things, all things to do with the way the nervous system works. So welcome, Reno. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be talking with you. It's great to have you here with me today. So tell me about yourself and what it is that you do. Well, I spent 20 years as a marriage family therapist specializing in anxiety disorders. And uh, then I uh, moved from that into uh, teaching at a local college for about 15 years. And currently, I'm retired uh, from all that. I still write and uh, do some counseling through my local church uh, and, you know, do some speaking like what we're doing today. So it's kind of occupying my time now. Mm, And also, I guess this is when you've got the time now to author all these amazing books. Yes, uh, building the, the YouTube uh, channel especially has been something that's been a lot of fun to do. It's been a whole new learning experience, how to put the video together and all that stuff. Great. And Rena, in your view, what is stress? Well, there's two things, stress and stressors. Stressors are the things that cause stress, like a boss, a wife, kids, you know, bills, any of the, that type of stuff. Stress is really uh, the simplest definition. It's a, it's a triggering of the fight or flight response. And to understand that you have two different parts of your autonomic nervous system, and that's the part of your nervous system that controls all the things you don't want to have to think about, like your heartbeat and your lungs and digestion. And uh, one branch of that, the uh, parasympathetic, it runs your body normally. And then when there's any kind of a danger or a threat that uh, it comes up, at least what you think it, perceive of it, it may not actually be one, but if you perceive a threat or a strong emotion, then that triggers the uh, sympathetic division, which basically shuts off all of that normal stuff and turns up everything that you need to meet the, the, the demand. So it'll increase your heart rate. It'll shut down your digestion. That's why when you're stressed out, a lot of times things don't seem to settle right. Um, you get the dry mouth because, again, that's part of the digestive system shutting down. Um, and, you know, all of those types of things come up. That's why in a, in a movie, when it gets to the... Uh, um, the, the, the tense part, you know, you'll have the heartbeat sound or the breathing sound of the background because they're trying to stimulate that, that uh, sympathetic part of your nervous system so that it helps you to get more into the emotion of the moment. So basically, that's all it is. It's just the trigger of the fight or flight response. And that's why uh, something such as driving, you know, several miles to another city or several hours to another city can make you tired, even though you're just sitting there. Uh, you're because the cars are whizzing by and you've got to you know, judge distances and all that type of stuff, that's triggering that fight-or-flight mechanism. So when you get to that city, you're, you're tired, even though you really haven't done anything, but your body's been all stressed out uh, as you've been driving, or at least somewhat, somewhat stressed out. And let's talk about positive versus negative stress. Well, again, stress is designed to help your body function more effectively uh, when you have a, a demand on it. 
So any strong emotion and positive ones, such as excitement, you win a game, you know, or you are going to someplace that's really fun, or you're going on vacation that you're really enjoying, all those things will trigger the um, that fight or flight response. On the negative side, and, and again, they help you perform better. So if I'm playing a game of basketball, let's say, uh, that fight or flight mechanism is helping me perform more effectively. Negative, of course, would be uh, when it, or actually another positive would be when you're see danger so if there's you know some animal or something that's attacking you then that fight or flight mechanism helps you again defend yourself more effectively the downside is when you have uh, stress uh, when there's no real reason for it uh, and the reason for that is any danger that you perceive or any threat your body responds to it as if it's now even if it's just a thought so if I'm thinking about an upcoming oh, job interview, let's say, and I'm nervous about it, that's going to trigger that fight-or-flight mechanism, just as if I was sitting there actually doing the, uh, the, the interview with the person. And, the, and as long as that's short-term, it's okay. The problem comes when stress is chronic and it's ongoing. The best example of that, uh, since I'm in the U.S. here, is our president. Uh, you look at any picture of a president when they first take office, from when they leave offices, office, and it's like they've aged two decades. You know, their hair turns white, and they just, you know, the stress has been ongoing, it's been chronic, crises all over the world, things of that nature. And I'm sure your leaders are the same thing. You, you look at pictures before and after they've had a term of office, and they, they age much more rapidly because of that chronic stress that they can never get away from. Mm, that's true. I haven't thought about it that way before. Mm -hmm. And Renault, what do you believe are some of the myths prevalent around stress? Well, there's a lot of them. Uh, one would be that stress is the same for everybody, and, and it's not. Our bodies are different, uh, and also the way we think, our beliefs, our expectations are different. So that's so we'll, we'll identify different things as stress. Uh, I play guitar, and so when I have a performance, you know, for me, that's excitement. You know, it's showtime. But for a new musician, that can be a terribly stressful event for them as they worry about making mistakes and what people will think and that sort of thing. Uh, again, I've already, already mentioned that stress is normal and it actually helps you function better in a lot of situations. The problem is when it's chronic stress and that's very wearing on you. Another one would be the, this idea that, that you really can't do anything about stress. And, and there are a lot of things that we'll talk about you know, in a few moments that you can do about stress. Uh, a lot of the popular techniques that are put out there such as diet, exercise, relaxation response, while those are useful, they're really not the most powerful things, but those are the things that a lot of magazine articles and you know people will focus on. And unfortunately, most people are doing everything they're going to do in those areas, and so that just makes them more stressed out thinking about it. Uh, I think one of the other big things is the idea that if you don't have any symptoms, then you're not stressed out. Now, working with anxiety disorders for uh, 20 years, uh, a lot of times, those people are very poor at managing stress. In fact, they only realize they were stressed out when they started having panic attacks. So being able to pick up on the early signs of stress and doing something then really is what you need to do. So absence of overt signs, because again, they're usually subtle things. It's just that a lot of people don't pay attention to them. Uh, that, that becomes important. So those would be, I think, some of the big, the big uh, myths that people have. So when we're under stress, do we still function as well as we usually do without stress? For moderate stress, yes. So again, if I'm in a game and I'm uh, like a, a football or basketball game or something of that nature, 
you know, getting that fight or flight mechanism geared up is important, which is why a lot of times people will, uh, you know, the coach will, will, will rev up the team so that they'll, they'll fire them up so that they'll actually work better. You know, their muscles will work better. Again, there gets to a point, though, where that no longer is the case. So if it becomes chronic, ongoing stress, then it starts wearing on the body. I, I like to use the analogy, your body is a machine with a limited amount of energy. And so on days when you know, you're all stressed out and stuff, you have less energy than on days when you're not all stressed out. And also maybe to compare it to a car, a car is designed to go very fast, very quickly, you know, get on a freeway or something of that nature. But if it's constantly being you know, pressured, like on a racetrack, uh, you know, 100% of the time, then it wears the car out. So same thing with your body. You, know, you, you can deal with short-term stress very effectively. It's that chronic, ongoing stress that, that tends to be really wearing on the body. And, and then you don't think as well. Uh, on a day where you, you've got lots of stress going on, it's like when you have a cold or the flu or something of that nature, you know, your brain doesn't actually work as well. In fact, that, that's another general principle. Any strong emotion will tend to reduce your ability to think logically. So in a football game, that's great because you want to just be able to think about, I'm going to take out the other team. You don't want to be thinking about you know, higher logical things. Just you know, get the goal that you know, I've already trained myself. <laughs> yes. so I don't have to think about it, right? And Absolutely. So, so in that situation, or like on a battlefield, right, where you've trained, you know what you need to do, um, stress is actually helping you because you don't have to think logically those situations. But if I'm all stressed out and I need to um, evaluate situations well, I'm not going to do it that, as well as I would when I'm not stressed out. You, you can see that on a game show. People, you know, you're sitting on your couch. You can answer all the all the questions that are going on and being asked. But when you get on the actually in the game, people are watching you. You start to you know, and you start to have all that uh, pressure and you know, and the stress that's coming up on in your mind. Then you don't think as well. That's so true because I guess this is why you can sit on the couch and feel like you could be on the show. <laughs> yeah, they, they get on the show, and you, you're like a like a babbling idiot, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you can't sort of recall things that are just so immediately obvious when you're sitting on the couch. And yeah. Reno, why do people actually react to stress so differently? Well, there's two things. One one is our bodies are different. Again, working with uh, people who are having, um, let's say, panic disorder, where they have panic attacks, uh, they have a much more reactive body than the average person. Uh, again, uh, people are different, and you could take anything, any trait about people uh, you want to talk about, and you could graph it on what we call normal curve. So, for example, height. Some people are tall, some people are short, and there are people that are you know, average height. And so some people, uh, they can just tolerate a lot more stress. Their body is built like a tank, and other people, their body is just more reactive. It's more like a house where the wiring is not quite up to code. And so if you plug too many things in, the circuit breakers trip. And, and for that group of people, we, that those become panic attacks that they're having. And so uh, part of uh, if you've got that kind of a more reactive body, then you just need to learn to manage stress more effectively. Because stress is just a message that you've got some business to take care of. You know? and, and if you're taking care of the business, then you know, it's going to quiet down after you, you're done with that. But if you're ignoring it, for example, if you have some relationship issues going on that you're ignoring and it's causing stress in your life, it'll just keep building and building in the background. And so we've got a great analogy there about you know overloading your circuit with, with the wiring. So... Mm-hmm. Underpinning that, are there sort of things like 
beliefs and expectations or anything, you know, that underpins that, that makes us create stress for ourselves where perhaps it's not external, it's internal to ourselves. Well, exactly. Because again, you can look at the stressors, the things that are triggering the stress as being external or internal. In fact, maybe let's back up for just a moment and talk about some of the different types of things that trigger stress. One would be pressure, you know, a demand to do something, you know, like your boss says, this has to be done by Friday, or an internal demand where I have to not make mistakes, or I have to look right, or I have to whatever. Uh, frustration simply means you're not getting what you want. And for some people, when they don't get what they want, you know, it's, that's a major deal. For others, it's, well, okay, I'll just change, you know, change my goal here. Conflict, which is where you've got choices to make, and you've got to make a choice between the two of them. And some people find that really easy to do. Other people, you know, they go into a restaurant and trying to pick something off a menu is like a terrible, you know, stressful thing for them. Uh, in fact, when I was younger, that used to be the case for me. I used to, you know, you worry about, well, you want to make sure you get the right thing, right? <laughs> and then I finally decided, well, what the heck? I'm just going to choose something. And I'm going to enjoy it. And if I don't like it, I'll choose something different next time. That kind of solved that in my life. Uh, threat would be another thing that triggers threat, stress. So whenever you perceive some kind of danger, and that, that can be really different from one person to another. Like I mentioned uh, with music, for me, a, a performance is just fun. For another person, that's you know a major negative, stressful event for them. And you could take any other thing. Public speaking is another common one. For some people, public speaking is easy. For others, again, it's a major traumatic experience for them. Uh, loss would be the, the other one. Whenever you lose something that's important to you, uh, that's going to trigger, again, stress inside of you. So all those things people deal with differently depending upon, again, their beliefs, their expectations, you know, how they're raised, uh, and, and that sort of thing. How then do we manage the short-term and long-term stress? Yes, in fact, I'm glad you put it that way because I look at stress management uh, in two different ways. We all have times where just stress is going to hit us, whether you know the kid's sick, you know the spouse is sick, I got something going on in the job, you know, and that's kind of short term. And then there's those things that general stress management principles that I can build into my life, you know, for long term. So taking the the short term first. Uh, I think the first thing, again, is you need to have an awareness of when stress is getting to you. In fact, I call that a personal early warning system. It's kind of like uh, the little lights on your car. They tell you when, uh, you know, your radiator needs water or the batteries, something's going on with that. Uh, just recognizing, you know, when stress is starting to cause a problem. And so I actually have a little inventory in the book, and you go through and you do checklists, for example, physical symptoms, uh, you know, I'm getting headaches, you know, I'm, I'm having sleeplessness, I'm grinding my teeth more, muscle tension. You know, mental stuff is real common for some people. You know, they get confused, you know, they're not able to remember things as well, that sort of thing. Uh, emotion um, is a big one. Um, you're just more emotional. You know, little things set you off more than they normally do. That, that's a real common one. Um, looking at uh, behavioral things, you know, you're doing things that you don't normally do. For me, a, a behavioral thing is I'll sit at the computer and I'll play a game that I don't normally spend a lot of time on. And I'm just sort of sitting there ruminating in my mind over something. And so that's why I notice myself doing that. Or oftentimes when, you know, my spouse does that. 
your mate is very good at sometimes pointing out these things to you, right? Uh, so anyway, so she's like, what are you doing? You waste a lot of time there. Okay, something's eating at me, so I need to maybe sit down and decide what's going on. And again, you know, spiritual, you know, the things that normally cause and give meaning to your life no longer give meaning. They seem kind of empty. And, and for different people, it'll be somewhere different within that list. And so coming in and identifying two or three things, well, this is what I do when I'm under stress that I don't normally do. And the way to identify it is actually very simple. You look back in your life and you think about times when you knew you were under stress and just say, what did I do or how did I act or how did I feel that was different from the way I normally feel? And once you identify three or four things like that, then you can say, oh, when I'm doing those things, that probably means I'm feeling stressed in somewhere, some area of my life. Uh, another one for me is there's a change in how I use language. Um, my dad was a sailor, so <laughs> need I say more? <laughs> uh, when, I, when I noticed some of that coming out, then I, then I recognized, oh, you know, I'm getting a little short-tempered here. I think, uh, I think stress is kind of starting to get to me. And, and again, when you see that, then you need to take the next step, which is to identify um, uh, or to prioritize things in your life. And, and this is hard to do because when you're feeling stressed out uh, or, or when stress is starting to affect you, your thinking becomes more black and white. And so those little things in life seem to take on much more importance than they normally do. So, you know, those things that bug you about your kids or your mate, you know, or at work. Suddenly, they all seem very important and they need to be resolved and taken care of right now. And so that can drain your energy. Uh, and so it's important sometimes to sit down and make a list, actually write it down if you need to, and say, here are the things that need to be done. I'm just going to do the top ones and forget about all that little stuff. And I'll deal with it later on when I'm not so stressed out. And oftentimes, when that time comes, you'll find, well, it's really not that big a deal. I don't need to deal with it at all. So prioritizing becomes really important, just being more, uh, more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Be, be, being more uh, obvious about, about doing that, you know, not just leaving whatever feels right to happen. So being more, more organized about dealing with what's more important in your life and focusing on that. Uh, I think learning to uh, slow down in decision-making is another short-term thing that you need to do. If you know you're under stress, and if it's possible, delay making important decisions. Uh, a lot of people I've spoken with, uh, the worst decisions they've made in life have been during times when they were very stressed out. And so they made a decision, and they weren't really thinking it through that clearly. So if you have a big decision to make, and you know that it's a stressful time in your life, take more time, you know, talk with somebody that you trust who's got a um, you know, a good head on their shoulders, and and get get some feedback, and don't just make a snap decision because it'll, it'll it's very high, likely that it'll be the wrong one. You know, if you are stressed out, and then finally, I think you know, learn to ask for help. And for some people, that's very difficult. If you know a stressful time is coming up in your life, you know, either because of work or you know, illness or whatever, get some help. You know, let go of some of those little things that normally you would spend time in. Uh, I know, like, uh, when I was teaching at school, we would talk about these things, and we'd talk about, okay, we know that finals week is going to be a stressful time for you. What are the things that you can let go of that you normally do? Maybe you can cook simpler meals. You can uh, spend less time doing some of the frivolous things that you do. Um, you can uh, 
maybe uh, do a little bit less cleaning that week, clean the week before, clean the week after. You know, those types of daily things that will take your energy away from you. You, you can just let go of those so you can focus on the important things that need to be done. So those would be some, some simple things you can do. I mean, they're, they're all kind of common sense things, if you think about it. It's just we tend not to do that when we're, we're under a lot of stress. Exactly, because that's, if, if it were so easy, we would do them, wouldn't it? You know, And I, I believe, honestly, Renaud, is that often we know things, but we don't actually do them. And it's, what, it's the doing that actually makes that. So perhaps an idea is if you are somebody who deals with these high pressure points regularly, you know, throughout your, your working yeah. day or whatever is have a quick checklist of strategies, you know, because like you say, when you're in the moment, sometimes these most common sense things fail you because your sort of higher order thinking is being suppressed anyway. Right. Yeah. I, I think that that's an excellent idea. That's, that's what I often used to do with my clients is we would, I'd give them a checklist and, we, you know, we'd go through them, so they practice it until it became an automatic thing. Because a lot of people were blessed with parents that did a lot of this stuff automatically, and so they learned by modeling to do those things. And unfortunately, some people didn't have such good role models as they grew up. Well, yeah, and I guess sometimes I think mm-hmm. the generation of my parents is that people didn't discuss stuff. So the stress that they may have felt was never discussed. You probably as a child discerned it because perhaps they were a bit shorter with you, but you didn't actually discuss that there was money troubles or, you know, just post the war or something like that. So I think it's quite Mm -hmm. different in each generation. And yes, you're right. So role modeling is one way. Other way is learning. So um, I'm also aware, uh, Renault, that some people worry about the future a lot, which you describe as negative anticipation. So talk me through about what actually happens and how we can actually address this. Right. And, and another way that's referred to is what if thinking. And those are people that get into, you know, what if this, what if that, you know. And it's, it's I, I know, again, when you're speaking with anxiety clients, they can come up with hundreds of things that can go wrong. In fact, I used to regularly uh, tell them that, you know, you're a terrible prophet. You're a terrible fortune teller. You come up with all these things that are going to go wrong, and and none of them ever happened. But you worry, 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 worry about them. And so if you look at people who deal with worry, uh, well, there's three general things you do. Uh, The first is you ask yourself, you know, what are the odds that this is going to happen? And, And to use maybe my people with panic disorder, one of the things they worried a lot about were panic attacks. And so, well, I might have a panic attack if you know I go here or do this or whatever. And uh, one of the things that people who, who tend to worry do is they will overestimate the odds. In fact, in fact, let me change that. They'll worry about maybe I'll pass out. That was a very common thing I would get because hyperventilation is a common symptom with people with panic disorder. So they say, well, so I'd ask them, so what are the chances that you might pass out? And they would say, oh, 50% or something like that. Then I would ask them, well, how many times have you passed out in the past? And they would say, well, I've never passed out. So what they're doing is they're basing their estimate on how they're feeling. They're doing what we call emotional reasoning. It feels like I might pass out, therefore it's likely that I'll pass out. And what you need to do is shift to, well, in the past, I've never passed out. So reality-based is the odds are very low that you'll pass out. 
So then the second thing is, well, how bad would it be if you were to pass out when you went to the supermarket? Oh, it would be the worst thing in the world. You know, I, I just can't imagine anything worse. Okay, well, then let's compare that to something such as when your kids get killed or having a wasting disease. If on a scale of 10, if that's 10, passing out in a grocery store where there's no harm to you uh, other than embarrassment, uh, okay, it comes way down on the severity. So people who worry tend to overestimate the odds that something's going to happen, and then they catastrophize. They, they overestimate how awful it will be. So that's the first thing they need to learn is to be make more realistic estimates as to, you know, based on the past, how likely is this? And then how bad is it really, you know, compared to really awful things? Because people oftentimes will just every little thing is terrible when really it's not. It's just more of an inconvenience. In fact, the little phrase I, that I, I've liked for years is the idea that in life, you know, pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. And a lot of people really suffer over little tidy things where they really don't need to. So once you've kind of looked at, okay, here are the odds, and here's how bad I think it'll be, then you come up with two plans. One would be, how could I prevent it? And a lot of times there are very specific things you can do to uh, prevent some of the things that you're thinking about. And unfortunately, people who worry never get to that step. They just stay stuck in that little circle of, oh, this is going to happen, it's going to be terrible. Oh, I know this is going to be happening, it's going to be terrible. Their thinking doesn't go into, well, you know, if it, this is how I could prevent it. And then, of course, the second idea is, what would I do if it were to happen? So uh, are there some things I could do to prevent passing out? Yeah, and usually there's a list of things we can do. And if I were, what would I do? You know, oh, I could sit down, first of all, if I don't hurt myself. I could just have something to say because, you know, I'm going to come to in a few minutes if it's just hyperventilation. And you could apply this to anything. You know, what if I, one of my students, we used to take an example such as, you know, what if I fail on a test? Right. Oh, I know I'm not going to do well on this test. This is horrible. You know, I can't take tests. Why am I going to take a test? You know. So, okay. Well, what are the odds? Well, I know I'm going to fail. So, uh, have you? How many tests have you passed as opposed to have you failed here at school? Well, I passed most of my tests. Okay. So the odds are you'll probably do okay. And then, how bad would it be? Are you going to flunk the whole class based on this one test? In most cases, no. And there's often things you could do afterwards to, you know, uh, make up for it on the next test. So how can you prevent failing on the test? Well, I could study, right? <laughs> I could read the book. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got practice uh, tests I can take. I can take those. And that would prepare me. And, you know, so you can kind of go through that whole scenario. And people who manage stress well, that's kind of what they do automatically. They make a realistic estimate. They make a realistic realistic estimate about how you know the consequences and then they come up with a plan how they're going to deal with whatever it is that they're thinking about and again people who worry tend to stay stuck on the first two levels i know it's going to happen it's going to be awful and they just circle around those two areas it's interesting because often there's no evidence that like you say with the uh, the exam example is if you've passed uh -huh. majority of your tests so let's say you've never failed a test before then the likelihood yeah. is very low, <laughs> you know, even though you feel that perhaps going into the exam. So it is, it is an, an unusual way. But I guess we're talking about it because we're not in that moment. So I'm wondering if somebody's in that moment, what could support them? Well, again, I think having a little checklist and learning to talk themselves through. When I work with people, that's a lot of what we did is, is I would have them 
uh, because with people who are avoiding things because of anxiety, then they need to go out and practice. So I'd have them, okay, let's list your fears, and then we would take every fear, and we would work it through this way. What are the odds? How bad would it be? How could I prevent it? What would I do? And then we would summarize that on a little card, and that became their coping self-statement, the thing they said to themselves to help them cope with the situation better. That became their little coping self-statement whenever the the thought came up, oh, what if this happens? Well, wait a minute. They would go through their little self-talk. And uh, then they would distract themselves and find something else to occupy themselves with. And you mentioned before about rational self-talk. So is that what you're talking about? Exactly. That's a form. Rational self-talk simply means uh, speaking to yourself in a realistic way. Um, because we have a lot of things we, we do that uh, are not very realistic in terms of how we think. Uh, and so coming up with an argument against that irrational stuff that's going on inside of our head. And so much of it is so automatic. You know, we, we don't even realize how, how irrational we can be sometimes. In, in the psych classes, I, I used to, we would go through and talk about various forms of what, what I would call distorted thinking, uh, such as this what if thinking, you know, this negative thinking, negative anticipation we're talking about. And then I'd say, okay, I want you to go out and just, you know, listen to other students in the common area and see how many of these you can identify. Now, when people are calm, they tend not to do distorted thinking. But as soon as emotions come up, then you start hearing all kinds of it. So, and that was useful because they realized this is just something we do. You know, and the more you can minimize it, the more you can understand, you can identify when you're doing it, then the, the more rational and the more realistic you can be in dealing with life. And Renaud, tell us about your book, Anxiety, Phobias, and Panic, Taking Charge and Conquering Fear. Uh, that's been around quite a while now, and it's sold about a little over 200,000 copies, so I've been real pleased with it. It's available both on Amazon and through uh, um, you know various smashwords and things of that nature. It uh, was originally written for people with a panic disorder uh, back when I first wrote it, and then in subsequent revisions, I've added in and, and expanded the areas with like OCD and uh, some of the other forms of anxiety disorders. So... Uh, it's a, essentially a self-help book. It's designed as a series of lessons, and then at the end of each lesson, there's uh, things to do so that you can take the concepts in the lessons and actually apply them into your own situation. And uh, just, I've just been real pleased with the response that it's had from people over the years. Mm, that's fantastic. And I know that we're going to have another interview on your next book about managing anger, and we'll be discussing anger taming the beast then. So mm -hmm. in the meantime, what are your tips for living fabulously? Well, I think to be happy, you, you, you need three things. Um, you need to have a purpose in life. You need to have a relationship, some kind of a deep connection with another person. And you need to have uh, what you could call existential or spiritual framework that you can use to rely on when things don't go well. And in just dealing with people, I found if people are strong in all three areas, they don't really need a counselor. Um, if they're weak in one area or they're struggling in one area, for example, maybe their primary relationship is uh, not going well, then usually they'll come out of it fairly intact. If they got two areas that they're weak in, then usually you've got somebody who's really hurting. So again, you need a purpose in life, you know, reason for why am I getting up in the world in the morning, you know, you know, what am I doing here? Um, and that could be work, that could be family, you know, it could be, you know, any kind of thing like that. 
again, healthy relationships, that's an area that a lot of people struggle with, uh, especially nowadays with all of the things we have to um, take away from time with another person. I think that's probably where in our modern technological world, we are most impoverished is in our relationships. Uh, and then the third area, again, is that, that existential spiritual, you know, what's the meaning of life? You know, what is our purpose in life? You know, what makes a person happy? You know, the answers to those questions, which we often don't think about, really undergird a lot of uh, what's going to make us uh, both successful and, uh, you know, happy long-term in our life. And, but again, we are so busy with the, the trivial that we don't deal with the important. Oh, that's so true. Thank you for yeah. that. And you can find Rene Purifoy at his website, whyemotions.com, and mm -hmm. he has some fantastic YouTube um, videos there, so please go and take a look at that. And Rene, thank you so much for really inspiring us around this whole notion of stress because there were some takeaways that were just so important for me is you used that wiring analogy, so I'd say – we need to not plug into too many things and overload our circuits. I mean, that to me is a very visual and um, important thing. So it's sort of taking time out, understanding our own threshold for levels of stress and uh, what we can do about them. But I also love that you talked about black and white thinking and how that becomes more prevalent the more stressed we are. Mm. And life is not black and white. It is certainly lots of shades of gray. And your strategies, even in the short term, were very helpful. So it's that awareness, using your own body and your thoughts as a personal warning system and identifying then the sort of physical, mental, or emotional things that are happening. So you mentioned a change in language, which I think is people can identify with that you know, that I'm starting to cuss more or, uh, you know, be less tolerant of things that I'm normally quite tolerant of. Yeah. And then your next step was about prioritizing the things in your life and making allowances. So if you know you're going to go into a pressure week, then putting pulling back on the throttle. But I also love that you talked about learning to slow down your decision-making. I think – Decisions made in the heat of the moment when you're under a lot of stress, people can often um, come to regret those, especially oh, yeah. if they're big life decisions. You know, if you've mm -hmm. had an argument with your spouse and then you throw out that you're going to separate, well, that's not a good idea at that time probably to be talking about that. But I love that concept of learning to slow down your decision-making. And also the other one is you mentioned learning to ask for help. And I think this today is, you know, we think we need to be all and do all for ourselves and we're less likely to ask for others because we believe they're also busy with their lives. So it's sort of like it is a catch-22 of our society. But I think you also gave us some great tips for how to worry well, mm. <laughs> you know, if we are prone to that. And your questions were, what are the odds this is going to happen? Mm -hmm. How often may it occur and how bad may it be? And then what would I do if it did happen? So to me, that's good risk management. That takes yep. me back to my years in, in technology where those are real good risk management strategies. And it does sound like it's very practical and applicable to our lives. So thank you for being with me today, Reno. It's been fascinating. 
Well, thank you. It's, it's just really been a lot of fun for me. Thank you so much for listening. And you can get the links and any references from this episode in the show notes at my website, www.livingfabulously.com forward slash podcasts. Have you heard about Sleep Timber? It's a month to focus on restorative sleep and it's a month packed with so much goodness for you. What will it take for you to take care of yourself? Head to www.sleeptember.com.au to find out about the free events and sign up to join a movement of sleep lovers. Until next time, be sure to live the fab life. The information shared here and in our programs and webinars should not be seen as medical advice and is not meant to take the place of seeing licensed health professionals.